Well, if you've been following the news recently, I'm sure you'll be aware that the role that insurance is going to play in managing the impact of climate risk is going to increase rapidly, driven by regulation and reporting requirements around the world. Here in the UK, the Bank of England last week released its stress test for three different future scenarios related to increase in temperatures of 1.8 degrees Celsius to 3.3 degrees Celsius by 2050. And then this week, the leaders at the G7 summit issued a statement committing the participating countries to move towards mandatory climate-related financial disclosures that provide consistent and decision-useful information for market participants. Now, we've seen the emergence of many new companies joining the established providers of data and analytics for underwriting purposes and covered many of them in our location intelligence report. This increasing focus on the measurement and hence the need for tools and data related to climate change and business risk looking into the future is opening up a significant new area of opportunity for both established and new companies. So this week, I am talking to Maureen Utke-Royo, one of the co-founders of Tesla. Tesla is already helping forestry owners, utilities, and investment funds understand and manage changes in the nature and size of forests and trees. Now, recently, a member of the current cohort in the Lloyds Lab, Maureen and her colleagues have been exploring the potential insurance applications for their analytics. Well, if you're interested in what the future will look like related to the issues of climate risk management, carbon sequestration trading, or just what it means to be in the Lloyds Lab and explore a new business line in insurance, this one's for you. I'm Matthew Grant, partner at Instec London. Hang in to the end or find out what we're up to at our webpage, www.instec.london. If you're curious about how we may be able to help you, whether you are an insurer, technology investor, or anyone else interested in innovation in insurance and risk management. Maureen, really interested in hearing what you've got to talk about. You are one of the recent Lloyd's cohorts. Uh, going to be talking a bit more about that in a minute. You're currently Chief Strategy Officer and also one of the co-founders of Tesla, which you founded back in 2017. I should also mention you are based in Portugal, so I think all of your experience with the lab so far has been remotely. But can you just build on that a bit more and talk about what it actually means to help organization manage resources effectively? We are talking about uh, land resources, so forests, vegetation, crops, and soil, whatever grows, um, that are at the same time the, the systems and the solution to tackle uh, climate change. So we work with industrial and non-industrial clients. These resources are vital for life and economy. We will always need to manage them, but we need to do it in a more uh, efficient and sustainable way. So, for example, we monitor um, plants' health to maximize their life cycle, to detect threats so the, the forest owners uh, or farmers can act on time to protect their, their crop or the forest in case of a, of a pest attack, for example. Uh, we also monitor environmental criteria such as biodiversity index, we measure biomass, we measure carbon sequestration uh, potential in forests. Um, we also ensure compliance to environmental regulation because it's part of the, the global protection. So uh, we look at tree species distribution. We can issue alert of, uh, in case of when we detect deforestation. We measure distance between um, forest and, and infrastructure, for example. A lot of interest is now in the impacts or future impacts of climate change becoming more of a, a regulatory requirement. I noticed that you've changed your job title from 
chief sustainability officer to chief strategy officer. Uh, mm-hmm. Just interesting what, what, why you've done that and country, what was the role of chief sustainability officer? We have created the role of chief sustainability to to make sure that we stay true to our initial mission, which is uh, accelerating the transition to environmental sustainability. Uh, our technology is neutral. Uh, we have decided to leverage it for environmental impact um, and at the same time make, make a business out of it. To decide that someone is going to be in charge of making sure we are keeping the right direction and make the right decision uh, says a lot about our commitment. Uh, but then we decided uh, that actually sustainability is part of the general strategy of the company. So I keep this role, but now uh, it's directly incorporated into other types of strategic decision, uh, of course, alongside the CEO, Rémi Charpentier, which is thinking about uh, funding, uh, thinking about the markets of tomorrow. I know you do have some clients today, which is which is excellent. Uh, can you just talk about some of the types of companies you work with? Maybe if you can name some names mm-hmm. outside of insurance, because as I said earlier, you, you know, one of the interesting things about what you've been doing is you've been working with other organizations and, that, and are now looking for applications for that within insurance. Yeah, exactly. So we are not working with insurance companies yet. Uh, our two current uh, markets are forestry and infrastructure. So same technology, but with different applications. Uh, in the forestry sector, we work with all the forest stakeholders from mainly timber producers, uh, but also investment funds uh, that sell um, carbon sequestration um, uh, bonds, uh, but also governments, NGOs that uh, launch reforestation or afforestation projects. And in the infrastructure sector, mainly with uh, electricity transporters at the moment and distributors, but basically any kind of asset manager that want to monitor the environmental uh, threats around their their infrastructure. For those people that are not familiar with carbon sequestration bonds, can you explain how those work? The basic idea is that any entity, any public, private, governmental, etc., can uh, measure its its carbon footprint and decide to offset it. Uh, sometimes it's uh, regulatory, it's mandatory. Some other times it's it's made on a voluntary basis. Um, but the carbon market is growing very fast. So uh, forests are one of the most efficient way to to um, to offset carbon footprint because. Uh, Trees sequestrate carbon. So uh, for that, it's necessary to have a tool that ensures that the asset, the tree, is actually uh, still alive and still uh, delivering the, the carbon capacity it has been assigned. So, uh, for example, we work with uh, Lavywood. Uh, it's one of the biggest um, carbon investment fund in France. And we monitor their plantation in Indonesia to make sure that uh, they are still uh, they are still alive. They, are, they haven't been deforested. They have, haven't been uh, damaged by by a pest attack or anything. And so, first step is are the trees still alive? And second step, of course, is to measure uh, their capacity of carbon sequestration because uh, there is no there is no one single methodology. It's actually a very complex science based on environmental uh, science, but also uh, climatic criteria of the region. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. So f- from, the, from the asset manager's point of view, you're essentially helping them validate that what they've invested in or the bond they're investing in or trading is based on robust original well, forests in your, in your case. Um, yeah. and, and also it sounds like you are starting to create some kind of indices or consistent measures that people can use to trade. Yes, exactly. 
And then on the infrastructure side, can you just talk a little bit more about how you're helping companies there? Uh, yes, so I'll give you maybe a concrete example. Uh, we are working with uh, electricity transporters and distributors. Uh, we help them optimize the vegetation management around their grid. A lot of, uh, of these electric grids, of course, stretch over forested areas or just vegetated areas. And uh, the asset managers need to ensure they have to respect regulation when it comes to distance uh, between vegetation and power line. But, uh, of course, they want to, um, to trim vegetation in, uh, in the most respectful uh, way. The idea is not to, to go deforest uh, two kilometers around the grid. What we do is, because we are using uh, open data, we are able to work at very large scale. Uh, so we uh, monitor uh, at all time in a continuous way all the grid at country scale. For example, uh, in, in Portugal, in Japan, in Ireland, these are the countries we have uh, made projects already. We monitor all the grid all the time and we issue a risk map because we are able to uh, locate vegetation and forest and to measure its distance to power line. So based on that, uh, the electricity companies can optimize their uh, vegetation management operation and only cut trees when in and where it's necessary. So, Marine, could you just talk a little bit specifically so people who aren't familiar with how this would work can understand yeah, how a client of yours would work directly with you using your data and getting some actionable insights out of that? So uh, in a nutshell, they have three main objectives to uh, protect their assets, to optimize their operations and to comply with environmental regulations. So I'll give you some, some concrete examples. Uh, for protection, we monitor plant health. So we can, for example, uh, we are able to detect uh, early uh, signals of, of pests uh, infecting a tree or a crop. Um, for the operation, we compute uh, on a weekly or monthly basis the, the biomass of a given forest, for example. We measure the cut and burnt areas so we can give them an overview of the past operations, how much wood has been harvested. Uh, we can do that by species because we are able to, uh, to recognize tree species at country scale or by plantation. And when it comes to regulation, that's an interesting point for insurance, I guess. Uh, we are, for example, able to measure distance between infrastructure and vegetation and make sure it's compliant with, uh, uh, with regulation or measure uh, any kind of environmental criteria such as biodiversity, type of forest, uh, tree species area to ensure that uh, uh, species don't invade the um, a specific, uh, determined region. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do these companies pay you to get that kind of information? Ideally, we want to work on subscription basis. That's how we work with our timber producers' clients. They receive a forest inventory updated every month or every semester. Uh, for now, in the electricity business, uh, we are still doing ad hoc projects, uh, but we are confident we're going to transform that into a subscription basis because uh, all the natural change we are monitoring uh, makes sense on a continuous way. Yeah, plants plants keep growing and need to be cut back. And and you touched on it a bit there, the data, but that I believe you're using satellite data. I guess that's probably the only way you could do this cost effectively to be able to monitor the vegetation. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the um, differentiating factor of Tesselo from our competition. We focus on open data. The environmental change has to be monitored at very large scale, uh, whether it is uh, deforestation, flood risk, fire risk, etc. So uh, we need a cost-effective, uh, a cost-effective approach. Uh, so what we sell is basically the geospatial intelligence, the AI and machine learning that we use and we design ourselves to extract information from the the raw data. So we mainly use um, Sentinel-2, that's a satellite from the European Space Agency that has been specifically designed to monitor plants. Uh, So it has 13 uh, bands of imagery, including 10 infrared bands. So it gives us an unbeatable information about the, the chemical status of the plants. Um, and we also develop our uh, our own uh, methodology to uh, to make this low to medium resolution more actionable. So we have developed this super resolution model that allows us, for example, to detect a forest from a 10 meter resolution image to uh, downsize it to one meter resolution. We use high-resolution imagery that are uh, provided by our clients, for example, from a LIDAR campaign. Uh, we use that to train a model, uh, and then we, learn, we run the model on low resolution. And with that, we're able to uh, reduce the, the resolution from 10 to 1 uh, based on free imagery. LIDAR, L-I-D-A-R, is a common technique for remote sensing used by aircraft that uses radar to measure the height of land. Back to my next question. So just make sure I understand. So Europeans are providing the data for free, and then Mm. so your clients are then providing you with their own more detailed information that they've obtained using LIDAR, is that right? And then you're combining that with the, the free information. Exactly. It's a way to offer uh, actually a higher value for money uh, for our clients' data because a lot of uh, of large industries uh, run leader campaigns, forest monitoring, vegetation monitoring, grid monitoring, etc. They use it once. Uh, It's very expensive uh, to fly a drone or uh, an helicopter over large areas. Uh, It's a one-shot, so if there is a storm, uh, then half of the information is not accurate anymore, but we don't know exactly which one and where. So uh, it's it's very it's precision data that's very valuable, but only serves uh, can be updated very quickly. Uh, so we reuse this information to make our models more powerful and extract more information from open data. Yeah, it's very smart. So once you've done that once, as you said, you've trained the model, and then you can go back to your free data going forward. We train yeah. the model once, and then we don't use the high resolution data anymore. And then let's talk about the Lloyd's Lab. Well, congratulations getting in because you heard recently from Eddie Gaze that there were 177 applications and you were one of the 11 companies that managed to get selected for that. As we speak, you're, you're currently on the sixth cohort. We'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But what was it that led you to take a look at insurance? You're moving outside of your traditional uh, client base. Uh, the intuition here was that we we now have this um, this this tech and uh, environmental knowledge, um, and we observed there is a market gap. So forests represent 30% of of land, uh, 
um, of, on this planet. And we also observed the rise of the carbon sequestration market. But all of these trees, all of these, uh, these assets are vastly uninsured. So there is this market gap we thought we could address um, by leveraging our tech and this cost-efficient tool to make current insurance products more efficient and also to penetrate the, the market of parametric insurance. Okay, so you're very specifically looking at an asset that people have, for various reasons, found too difficult or chosen not to insure. Mm-hmm. You provide them with more data. You know, now there's some value to that. And presumably, in terms of insurance, what's that peril for like fire and then windstorm blowing trees down? Are those, are those the main kind of risks that forests uh, suffer from? Yeah, absolutely. There are storms and fire risk. Uh, then in some areas, droughts um, and pest attack are also uh, are also important threats. And we we think that we can actually add value all along the the insurance uh, chain from underwriting. We have access to all this this historic data, not only from Sentinel but also from other satellites that we use, from, from Landsat, from NASA, for example. So we have the possibility to have, with a, a neutral um, and, and public uh, instrument, uh, to look at the historic uh, of an asset. How many times has this forest uh, burned or, or been attacked by, by pest, or uh, how, has this area been flooded in the past? When it comes to claim monitoring, we think that this, this tool is also uh, to, to get an eye on the ground, uh, even though it not exactly real time can be a great uh, improvement to um, to sort claim in a more efficient way to detect fraud to prioritize claim etc yeah that's, that's also very interesting and have you been doing anything prior to the lab with other insurance companies we were in discussion with the Descartes underwriting to see how we could work with uh, with parametric insurance um so we think that uh, two possibilities would be fire risk uh, and, and soil moisture index, which allows to uh, um, to, to work with uh, flooding risk. So flooding and fire will be would be our two main use cases. Well, yeah, Saint Descartes are well known as one of the leaders in parametric insurance. So it's good to know you've had a discussion going on with them. And then just specifically back to the lab, can you explain for people that might not be familiar? With how that works, you know, what what does it involve being, uh, I guess not literally in the lab, unfortunately, right mm-hmm. now, but you know, part of that Lloyd's lab. Well, I think the, the main advantage is the, the great networking opportunity. Uh, Lloyd's is an amazing brand, recognized, so it opened a lot of doors uh, for us. Uh, we, we had access to to, to companies and, 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 and specialists that we wouldn't have reached without uh, Lloyd's Lab. Even Instec is actually an introduction through Lloyd's Lab. So for us, it's been a great exposure. And because we are not, we don't come from the insurance world. It's also uh, an opportunity to get a master class on the insurance sector, uh, we, which, again, we wouldn't have had uh, without lights. And then can you talk a little bit about some of the companies you've come across in the lab? And I, and I know you've got some specific individuals or companies mentoring you. We have a group of mentors. Uh, they come from TMK, Dale Underwriting, Atrium, Inigo Insurers. I uh, hope I'm not forgetting uh, anybody. Um, and thanks to them, they also allowed us to get introduced to to Aegis, to SCORE, uh, to Forester. So uh, those companies I've mentioned, unfortunately, they are not big on, on forest uh, insurance and nor parametric insurance. So 
there is not necessarily a use case to be developed with with their respective companies, but uh, they definitely help us to get the right information and, and talk to the right people. So now we have a conversation going with forestry specialists, such as forestry, which is a uh, very very insightful. I think it's forestry, isn't it? You mentioned mm-hmm. they, you know, the, the clue is in the name. They are focusing on insurance. Can you just talk a little bit about how they operate? Are they are they an individual company? Are they a kind of combination of different companies under a single name? Forestry is part of um, Globe Underwriting. They are one of the, I think, half a dozen companies in the world that that only do uh, forest insurance. So, and they are they are one of the pioneers uh, on that area. And what have you found? You mentioned the companies who are mentoring you are not you're big into forestry, but presumably they're interesting. They're interested in talking to you because they're exploring those areas. And, you know, a couple of companies you mentioned, Atrium One, I know, are very active in in looking for new areas to move into and provide capacity and, and score as well. So. Are you starting to see, you know, not necessarily having to name names, but are you seeing some opportunities that are following what you'd hope to learn, that there might be companies that want to do more with forestry because they've now got access to data from companies like yourselves? We haven't identified a, a concrete use case uh, because we're still, still uh, refining and understanding how we should package our data to make it valuable for, for these insurance companies. Uh, forestry is not a secret. It's a very limited market today, uh, much more smaller, uh, much smaller than crops and agriculture because forestry insurance are not subsidized in general, except in some specific countries. Uh, and of course, the, they have a very long life cycle compared to crops, so it's a it's a long time risk. Um, what we need to do is to pinpoint the key data that have value for insurers uh, and understand what they miss to complete their uh, risk assessment. Yeah, I think what they miss, and also just giving them confidence that they can they can write a bit more. I mean, the you know, the, the benefits, of course, is it's diversified globally, and you said it's kind of it's kind of long term, and I. Yeah, the increased occurrence of wildfires all around the world. You've had them in Portugal. We've had them in Ireland, maybe having them in the UK. And obviously, California's had a lot. Um, may, yeah, may well drive people to seek more insurance and, and having capacity behind that is very useful. Uh, and then just in terms of how, Marine, you're, you're going to market, it can be difficult for companies such as yourselves to sell directly into insurance. Clearly, with a lab, you've got that great opportunity to develop connections you can build on. But the other choice people make or you know, both actually is to work through some of the organizations that are pulling together third-party data and selling them on to insurance organizations have you have you spoken to any companies like you know, hazard hub in the u.s or when fresh in the uk address cloud or gamma in ireland you know that are pulling together multiple sources of data and effectively acting as your front end for, the, for your data sources it's an excellent point that would make a lot of sense to uh, go to work through third-party companies uh, because we know that uh, currently it is only offers a fraction of the the final solution of the big picture, and our information will always be aggregated with other data, uh, at least property, financial information, and most probably other weather data, uh, rain forecasts, for example. So it makes a lot of sense to work with companies that already aggregate this data at multiple sources and, and speak the same language as, as the, the underwriter or, or the reinsurers. 
And also, I'd like to mention parametric company, uh, for example, a, a Skyline, that's also a, a Lloyd's uh, alumni. They aggregate data from multiple data sources to build uh, index-based parametric insurance solutions. And that's also the kind of, uh, of intermediary that makes sense for us to work with and save, save time, save, uh, be more efficient and have a more, more effective distribution channel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got so you've got those two groups, and and uh, all the companies I mentioned, uh, we know very well. I'm very happy to make the introduction. Skyline as well are also one of our members, and we know. And I think you've got that. Yeah, on the one hand, you've got the sort of broader access to organisations that want to might want to use your data for underwriting, and then you've got the, the more specific, but you know, growing fast area of parametric where people are looking for partners to get access to data and. As you well know, one of the big costs can be trying to get the data itself. And if you've got ways of bringing that data that's at low or no cost and can be the independent party and can validate after a loss, you know, it's in a very strong position for for the parametric insurance offerings. And Lloyd's itself, actually, we've seen quite a few of the, the Lloyd's entities putting capacity behind parametric uh, triggers. So, yeah, I, I would be surprised if we, we weren't talking in a year's time and you actually had some transactions taking place around that. Hopefully. And, and then we're seeing a lot of activity across the market. Uh, most recently here in the UK, the Bank of England has just released its latest stress test for you know, climate change, looking at different scenarios of sort of mitigation or lack of reduction in activities you know, driving the climate change. From your point of view, are you hearing specifically from your clients or any of the insurers you're talking about the value of what you're doing for helping companies measure what they're doing, whether it's through the ESG, environmental, societal governments, or it's to do with the task force for climate financial disclosure. You know, lots of things happening, but I would have thought that must be quite a significant area for what Tesla can offer. Absolutely, yeah. We we, we really want to um, to align our actions uh, more and more with these. Uh, political frameworks uh, about CSR, about uh, uh, ESG. Uh, so generally speaking, yes, what we do for our current clients uh, is linked to their general uh, footprint, uh, carbon footprint assessment. Additionally, to the, to the vegetation forest monitoring, we have uh, large en- energy companies, for example, that have a lot of land. And they are suddenly realizing the value of these lands uh, in terms of carbon sequestration and how they could uh, actually incorporate that into their uh, their reporting. So uh, they ask us to go beyond the, the, the current state of services we are providing them and actually uh, include uh, all these lands in our monitoring to understand how it works, uh, how it changes and how they could uh, act to improve the environmental performance of these lands too around their their infrastructure, uh, energy plants, for example. So the, our clients today, no one asks us explicitly to work under the TCFD, for example, but we are confident that's something that's gonna that's gonna come up in the in the coming years. Uh, we are also uh, in discussion with a, a UNDP bureau uh, of an African country to help them uh, account for the the carbon sequestration of the forest. So at country scale. Uh, remote sensing with open data is very useful for countries that are data poor, uh, the countries where the national administration doesn't do a, 
a very active job uh, on natural resources inventory. So when there is no public data, using open satellite imagery analyzed with AI makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot of movement in that area. And I think it's going to get faster and faster, actually, because you know, once people are required to measure things and they need reliable data to be able to do that, and then once you've measured it one year, you need to be able to measure again the following year and almost mm-hmm. certainly show some improvements. And then a question for you about your existing clients and their view of risk management and insurance. So one of the things we're seeing more broadly across companies is you're looking for ways to use analytics to perform their own risk management or setting up captives as their own insurance companies. It might be too early, but do you see some opportunities with your your clients in forestry and infrastructure to go back and help them understand your ways to manage their own risks before they actually start talking to insurers? Um, yes, and for me, I would say it's, it's an alarm message that uh, we've been passing on to the insurance companies we've been talking to in the, in the past uh, weeks because a lot of our current clients don't necessarily see insurance as a solution. They see it as a cost. Um, and the, the first thing timber producers do is to run a cost-benefit analysis to understand if, if, it's, if it is in their interest to get insurance or if they prefer to allocate the, this budget to uh, prevention measures to, to actually mitigate their risk. So in Portugal, the majority of the forest, of the industrial forest, is not insured. Why is that? Because the fire risk is in particular, and also other risk, uh, but fire risk is considered very high, so it's driving the premium very high too. And at the end of the day, forest uh, managers prefer to uh, clean the vegetation, they keep a constant uh, eye on their plantation and, and the health status of their plant and the fire risk instead of paying an insurance. Another example is the investment funds. Um, they are financial bodies, of course, so some of them are actually able and prefer to come up with their own mechanism to compensate potential financial losses than to subscribe to an insurance. Well, Marina, I've asked you a lot of questions, but is there anything we've missed out that we should be talking about? Yeah, a final comment about to build on what I've just said. And I mean, insurance company, there is an insurance gap, a huge one. For example, uh, we think that insurance companies can have a very powerful role of prescriber when it comes to protection of natural resources if they are able to discriminate good and bad behaviors uh, in the risk pricing. For example, timber, I have a timber producer's client that told me if I clean my land, if I make sure that there is no light vegetation um, prone to, to, to turn into a fuel load in case of fire, um, if I act, uh, if I maintain a high biodiversity, etc., etc., I don't get a lower premium. I should pay less because I have reduced my risk, but it's not reflected on the on the business model of the insurance uh, contract I get. So there is margin uh, on that to refine the risk analysis and and uh, get a, give incentive for uh, for actually good behaviors prone to mitigate risk. Final question for me then. So with the lab, you have demo day, uh, mm-hmm. which is a chance for everybody to see what you've been up to. What date is that and what are you planning to show us? What we want to do is to uh, to, to share um, a business plan analysis of uh, remote sensing for insurance and uh, focus it, focus it uh, of course, on, on forestry and or uh, natural disaster management. 
And our goal is to um, to pinpoint the most relevant type of risk or, or type of information that we can produce and will add value to insurers. And demo day is is what date? Uh, it's on the seventh and eighth of July. Okay, so the clock is the clock is ticking. Absolutely. Uh, well, <laughs> well, yeah, it's been fascinating. Really interested to hear what you're doing. And as I said, it's always really good to know when people are kind of pushing the boundaries of what is insurable and finding new sources of data. And in your case, you're finding it at a very cheap way as well, which mm-hmm. is kind of what's important when it comes down to the analytics. Um, if people want to find out more about what you're doing, what's the best way to, to learn? Reach out to me through LinkedIn, through, uh, through my email address, marine uh, at tesselo.com. And we'll be always happy to answer any question. I mean, that was really, really interesting. And best wishes for the rest of the Lloyd's Lab. And hopefully, you know, at some point restrictions are going to be lifted and we'll see you back or see you in the UK mm-hmm. or otherwise I'm always looking for excuses to come to Portugal so maybe we'll hunt you down in uh, in Lisbon as well great we'll have a portal <laughs> fantastic thank you thank you thanks a lot for having me Look out for a lot more on this topic from us. And if you're interested in climate risk, you can hear my discussion with some of the leading experts from our event that we'd held with RIASC, Lloyds, NASDAQ and others on the 20th of April. Go to our website and look under the events tab to find that. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and haven't already discovered our other 140 or so episodes, do take a look at our podcast page on www.instec.london for the back catalogue. All the interview write-ups are there too. We're working with over 120 technology companies and insurers these days, helping explain the world of innovation and sharing your story. So if you are interested in learning more about how we can help you, please do contact me, Matthew Grant, via LinkedIn or any of us, hello at instec.london.